Uh, Fusion, good to be with you guys. So glad that you're here. My name is Bo. Uh, I get to help lead this community. Just one of the thanks, Sean. One of the great honors and joys of my life to get to be a part of this place of 18 to 35 year olds uh, seeking after Jesus. Excited for our time together. Before I get to our message for tonight, we have a uh, a guest of honor tonight. You guys, my mom is here. Uh, Didi Flores is here. My parents came up this last weekend as we uh, celebrated my son Shepard's first birthday, so we had a little party for him, and uh, my mom got to stay. I told her, Mom, I'm preaching, so she wanted to come and hear me preach. Uh, she's taking lots of notes. I have learned uh, uh, so much from my mom in so many different areas. I learned uh, the kind of marriage that I wanted to have someday by watching my mom and my dad and their marriage. Uh, I learned from my mom how to raise some incredible children, uh, and I'm like... Look what you guys did. I want to try to do that, too, because your kids are so, so good. Um, so good. And uh, I learned how to be a pastor from her. I watch her and my dad pastor all of my life. And uh, we're not going to get into all of this, but th- there may be some people out there who have an opinion that women can't be pastors and leaders. I'm going to tell you, I, I completely disagree with that because of what I got to watch in my mom and how I got to learn from her. I remember as a, as a young pastor early in ministry, I was struggling in some areas, particularly with preaching and just, I was trying to find my style of preaching. I was wondering, are sermons relevant? Should we even have sermons? I'll never forget this. She might, may not even remember this conversation. But one time I was talking to her, I said, mom, like, are, should, are sermons even relevant? Should they even, should we even do these things anymore? Do even pe- people even remember these after they happen? And she said, but let me ask you a question. How many meals have I cooked for you in your life? And I said, thousands probably. She said, how many do you remember? And I said, a handful maybe, some of the special birthday ones and stuff. And she said, you may not remember every single meal that I cooked for you, but every single meal that I cooked for you was what you needed to sustain you and get you through that day onto the next day. And she said, sermons are like that. A few may stick in your mind forever, but when somebody gets up to preach God's word, that is the word of God that God has for that community that's gonna sustain them and get them through that day. That's good. I might be done now, Mom. Thank you. (laughs) That's not even in the notes, y'all. That's a... That's a free one right there. So, Mom, thank you. So glad uh, that you are here. Uh, guys, so excited. We're starting a new series tonight called Snapshots of Jesus, like you heard earlier, where we're looking at stories, these snapshots from the life and ministry of Jesus as we read about them in the book of John. And uh, I just want to add a quick note on to the, to the devotion and the songs that Tommy wrote in the YouVersion app. Blake and I just completed it. We went through them for 21 days straight, reading from the book of John and listening to the music. And it was an incredible experience. I'm actually starting again tomorrow. Tomorrow I'm going to start over on chapter one. Uh, so if you are in the market for a new reading plan, join me uh, and the rest of us are going to be going through this together. But so excited for this series. You know, a, a snapshot is just that, right? It doesn't give us the full picture of everything going on in a situation. Uh, uh, b- but what it does is it gives some insight into uh, the experience of whoever's giving that snapshot. Most of us do this a lot. We give a lot of snapshots of our lives. In particular, if you're on social media, right? Instagram has made it very convenient for us to give snapshots of our lives, What's interesting is what we choose to show as a snapshot and what we choose to omit from that snapshot that we're showing though, right? So, so you may show a picture of yourself at the beach and you're like, I'm at the beach. It's so beautiful. I live in Los Angeles. Here's my toes in the sand. What you're not showing is the two hours of traffic you sat in to get there and the $20 you paid to park and the way you had to fight for that parking spot that you got into, right? Here's my toes in the sand. Uh, 
yesterday we had our, our first birthday party for my son Shepard. And I was, I was on Instagram a little bit during it, and I was showing some snapshots of what was going on during that party, man. These snapshots of the beautiful uh, decor and the theme. Blake just knocked it out of the park with this, this party that she threw. Uh, snapshots of, of Shepard there. What you weren't seeing was the, the 10 plus kids, four years and younger, running amok in my house. Just like the playroom looked like a tornado went through it. Uh, there was a diaper changing situation. I'll spare you all the details, but it went so sideways, literally. We're getting some new, 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 new uh, drapes in our, in our, uh, in our nursery because of what took place. And what you saw was, here's Shepard with a cupcake. Like, right? We choose to show certain things and omit other things from our snapshots, don't we? Here's what's so good about snapshots of Jesus, though. They always point to something bigger. Every snapshot that we see in this series, every encounter Jesus had with people that we read about in Scripture, they are always about the same thing. They're all leading to the same place, to this story of how God loved us so much that he sent his son to go to the cross in order to make us right with God again. Yes, I believe Jesus cared deeply for the individuals that he encountered in all of the stories we read about in the Bible. Yet at the same time, Jesus knew he was about something bigger than just that moment. He was about something bigger than just that miracle or that thing he was doing. There was a bigger story unfolding. So in this series, we're going to look at different snapshots of Jesus. And we're going to seek, and I believe receive, a more clear picture of who Jesus is. We're going to have a more clear picture of what Jesus was all about. We're going to have a more clear picture through this series, through these snapshots of Jesus' great love for us and the way we are now supposed to go and love the world around us. You see, Fusion, I believe our lives are radically transformed when we get a clearer picture of who Jesus is. I've heard so many stories. I'm even friends with some people who've had this experience. Usually they live in, in, in other nations, oftentimes in the Middle East. And, and sometimes they are a part of other religious systems, sometimes a part of nothing at all. But in, in dreams and in visions, Jesus came to them. And as they got a clear picture of Jesus, as he revealed himself with clarity to who, to who he is to them, their lives were radically changed. I'm praying and believing that we're going to encounter Jesus in that type of way tonight and in this series. So excited for this. Would you guys pray with me? Lord, we we thank you for tonight. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is alive, that it is active, and that when we apply it to our lives, by the help of your Holy Spirit, we are a changed people. So, Lord, we pray that, Jesus, as we look at these snapshots, would you reveal more of yourself to us? Give us a greater insight into your heart, into your love for us, into your love for this world, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we read uh, uh, our section from John chapter 2 tonight, I just want to make a quick note that the, 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 the snapshot that we're reading tonight is the story, like we just sang, of Jesus turning water to wine. And I felt led uh, to just, give, just give, give a quick moment to say, we, we're not a church who is against drinking wine. We're not a church that's against drinking alcohol. But we're also not a church that wants to glorify those things and put them in an improper place. And I have friends, some in this room, uh, who are fighting that hard battle of recovery when it comes 
comes to alcohol and drug addiction. And if you know me, you know that's a part of my story as well. I had to fight that battle, uh, and Jesus did amazing things in my life. But if you're here and you're fighting that battle, uh, I just want to say that tonight's message, it is not about glorifying wine. We're going to talk about wine a lot because of what Jesus did in this snapshot. We're not glorifying it. We're not trying to highlight it. If you are uh, wrestling with that, a pastor would love to talk with you and walk with you through that. But we're not highlighting wine tonight. We're highlighting Jesus and what he did in this story. So that being said, let's go to John chapter 2. It's in your uh, uh, bulletin that you got when you walked. It's also going to be on the screens. Here's what it says. It says, on the third day, a wedding took place in Cana of Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding as well. When the wine ran out, Jesus' mother told him, they don't have any more wine. What does that have to do with you and me, woman? Jesus asked. My hour has not yet come. Do whatever he tells you, his mother told the servants. Now, six stone jars had been set there for Jewish purification. Each contained 20 or 30 gallons. Fill the jars with water, Jesus told them. So they filled them to the brim. Then he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the head waiter. And they did. When the head waiter tasted the water after it had become wine, he did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. He called the groom and told him, everyone sets out the fine wine first. Then after people are drunk, the inferior. But you have kept the fine wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee. He revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Our snapshot of Jesus tonight is him performing a miracle. In fact, John will tell us that it's the first miracle he performed. When we think about miracles, this kind of seems like an odd way to begin to me. If I'm Jesus, if I've got the power that Jesus has, and if I know that I'm about to start a ministry, I'm going to start with something a little bigger than this, right? Like, he could have gone with the walking on water thing right off the bat. He could have raised somebody from the dead to start and be like, hey, I'm here now. Like, he could have calmed the storm. He could have multiplied the bread and fed, and fed thousands of people off the bat. But Jesus says, all in good time to that. For now, Jesus begins... By helping his mom keep a wedding from becoming embarrassing. Why? I think because Jesus is about to model the gospel and no one sees it coming. You see, Jesus recognizes that this first miracle that he's about to do, it's like handing out his business card to somebody. If you're a professional, if you have a business card and you hand it to somebody you know, that business card, it doesn't give every detail of who you are as a person. Instead, what it communicates is two things, who you are and what you are about, what your business is. So what is Jesus communicating with this card here besides I'm Jesus and I like to party? Number one, write this down. Jesus is in the grace business. Jesus is in the grace business. You see, the heart of the gospel is grace. And is Jesus saying, I am doing something for people who cannot do this thing for themselves. You guys ever heard somebody give this quote that God helps those who help themselves? That is the most unbiblical 
wrong statement I've ever heard. That is found nowhere in the Bible. That is not the heart of the gospel. The heart of the gospel is God saying, I am doing something for people who cannot help themselves. When you've come to the end of yourself, that is when I'm going to show up and do something. When you've exhausted all of your resources and have nothing left, that's where the gospel shows up. That is where grace shows up. And at a wedding in Cana, at the beginning of his ministry, Jesus demonstrates this. Weddings today, they may go for two to three hours, you know, a, a little bit longer if the DJ is dropping some serious bangers out there at the reception. But, but weddings at Jesus, in Jesus' day didn't go two to three hours. They went two to three days. And the host of the wedding was responsible it was on him to make sure that everybody had everything they needed for the entire length of that celebration. As a host, the worst thing that could happen is if something runs out and people don't have what they're expecting for the celebration. So this host we read about, his reputation is on the line here at this wedding. His honor is on the line here at this wedding. His status in the community is on the line here at this wedding. And the wine runs out. We don't know why, but we know the result. Shame and dishonor are on their way very quickly for this man and for his family. And what's the solution to this? Jesus. It's like Mary went to Sunday school. What'd you learn about? Jesus. Who'd you sing about? Jesus. Who'd you play with on the playground? Jesus. I'm like, you did? Why, why are we with Jesus on the playground with you, Austin? That's so weird. The very fact that Jesus does something in this situation, it tells us something incredibly important about him. You see, Jesus came to free people from guilt and from shame. In the presence of Jesus, there is no guilt. In the presence of Jesus, there is no shame. Jesus, he sees the guilt and he sees the shame approaching this man and his family. And in a very, in a very symbolic and intentional way, he steps in and says, I can do something about this. I can help you with this. Jesus' mom, Mary, she comes up to him and she tells him about the situation. And his response to her is very interesting. Verse four, in verse four, he says, she tells him about the wine running out and he says, what does that have to do with you and me, woman? My hour has not yet come. Now, can we just note that this is one of those parts of the Bible that is descriptive and not prescriptive. I don't think Jesus is telling us how to interact with our mamas in this situation, okay? My mom is here. Uh, I, can you imagine? <laughs> if I had a child, she'd come up to me and be like, Bo, I notice your room is very messy. I'd be like, what's that to you, woman? Like, <laughs> that would have been, been a learning moment for me. Let's just say it. Like that, okay? <laughs> it's important for us to understand something, though. Jesus wasn't being rude to his mom in this situation. In this culture, in this setting, in this situation, this wasn't a statement belittling Mary. Aside from all of the cultural uh, uh, situations at play right here, there's other truths as well. Yes, she is his mom, but she is also his creation. He is the son of Mary, but he's also the son of God. 
Not only that, but he's now a grown man. He is no longer under her authority the way that he was as a child. And we can read this situation where he refers to her as woman, and we can raise our eyebrows and be like, hmm. If Mary was a Mexican mother, there would have been a sandal flying across the room at him, a chancla right in the head, right? But I don't think Mary is offended here. Because Mary also knows who Jesus is, right? I mean, she knows she was a virgin when she got pregnant with him. She heard the angels singing about his birth. She knows this man standing before her is from God. She remembers when he was 12 years old and they thought they had lost him. And sure enough, they find him in the temple in Jerusalem, schooling all of the religious leaders at the time about the things of God. She knows who he is and I don't think she is offended by him. And we know that Because instead of throwing her sandal at him, she turns to the servants and what does she say? Do whatever he says. Do whatever he says. Which brings us to our second point, number two. We can ask for anything of Jesus when we yield everything to Jesus. We can ask anything of Jesus when we yield everything to Jesus. You see, Mary had an idea of what she wanted to see happen in this situation. But instead of pushing her own agenda, she instead, she defers to Jesus, doesn't she? See, she knows that whatever Jesus decides to do in this situation is going to be better than anything she can come up with. So she says, I'll ask for what I want, but in the end, I'd rather have it your way than mine. And when we live this way, fusion, man, it has never failed me yet. I remember early in our marriage, Blake and I were living down in San Diego, working at a great church down there. But at the same time, we knew that that season was drawing to a close. God was moving our hearts on to a new assignment, to a new place. And so we began to to talk about it and think about it and think, okay, maybe we should apply for some new jobs at some new churches. And there were some churches that that were, were interesting to us who were hiring. But before we applied anywhere, we prayed about it. And we heard God tell us, I need you to wait. Just sit tight. And so we yielded that to the Lord. We yielded our plans and our desire to step into a new season to God. And that meant staying in a living situation that we were actually ready to get out of. It meant staying at a job that I was ready to step into something new for. I wasn't, it didn't feel like it was totally the right place for me, but because God had said to wait, I stayed. We stayed. And then a few months later, we heard about a job opening at this little church in Eagle Rock called Christian Assembly. And God led us here. All because we yielded and we said, okay, we'll wait. If you want us to, we're ready to go, but if you want us to wait, we will stay here and we will wait. The older I get, the more I realize that to truly follow Jesus means that we have to yield every part of our lives to him. Yes, we absolutely, absolutely get to come boldly before the throne of grace to receive help in time of need. But what's interesting is when you've yielded your entire life to Jesus, your definition for help actually may change in situations. We ask for different things. We pray for different things. We believe God for different things. 
Yes, I'm asking God to bless my finances, but I'm not asking God to bless my finances so that I can be rich. Instead, I'm trusting that God is going to provide everything that my family needs and that God wants to get a blessing to me so God can get a blessing through me to somebody else. So ask for big things from God. Ask for big things when it comes to your career. Ask for big things when it comes to your relationships. Ask for big things when it comes to your finances. And then yield all of it back to him. Lord, here's my career plan that I have. Here's my relational dreams, Lord. Here's what I want to do with my money. Here's how I want to handle this situation or that situation. I yield it to you. And here's the best part. Jesus doesn't ask us to do something he wasn't willing to do first. Three times he prayed for the father to take the cross from him. But he ended that time by saying, but not my will, but your will be done. Listen, ask God for the desires of your heart. And then trust in his goodness and acknowledge the fact that his knowledge and that your knowledge and view is so limited, but his is unlimited. So Jesus, he turns this water into wine, a bunch of wine. It says that he fills six jars uh, that each contain between 20 and 30 gallons. So he creates about 180 gallons of wine. We have 180 gallons up there on the stage right there, okay? That, there's me, okay, yeah. That is a lot of wine that he makes in this moment. And can we just note the super abundance of what God provides, I have to wonder if Paul had something like this in mind when he would later write in Ephesians that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly more above in excess to than what you can think or ask. Listen, Fusion, I don't know what you're praying for. I don't know what you're asking for. But I feel like God wants me to remind somebody tonight that he is able to do so much more. He is able to do so much more. They were expecting a little bit of wine and Jesus creates 180 gallons of it. He has more for you. Whatever you're praying for, whatever you're asking for, he's got more for you. And it's not more so that you can just have more. I believe he wants to give you more so that you can give more. He wants to bless you with more so you can bless other people with more. He's got more grace to pour out on you so that when you encounter that person in your life who you know needs some grace, you know, I've received all this grace. Time for me to give some grace to somebody else as well. He's got more for you. And it's not just the quantity of what he provides. He doesn't just make a lot of it. It's the quality as well, isn't it? When they tasted the wine he made, their minds were blown, right? They're like, I can't even process that you're serving this to us right now. Listen, when Jesus provides something for you, you are always going to get something better than what you asked for with him. Listen, Fusion, Following Jesus means you're going to follow him into the best possible life that he has for you. Yes, there's going to be times you're going to have to give something up. That's going to be true. But what is also true is that though you may have to give that thing up, what you're going to get in return is going to so far outweigh anything that we may have given up. But there's something going on here in this story that many of us don't get when we read it just, just at a cursory glance. You see, the people at this wedding, uh, they were Jewish. And they would have known the Old Testament. They would have known the law. They would have known the prophets of old. 
And as they're watching this unfold, I am almost certain there was a promise from God, from the prophet Isaiah, that would have been ringing in their ears as they witnessed what was taking place. Isaiah was his prophet from the Old Testament who spent a lot of time warning Israel about about upcoming calamity because of their rebellion against God. But in the middle of this warning about all the things that they had going on, a promise comes from God. And God says, rescue is coming. A Messiah, an anointed one is coming for you. And what will mark this Messiah? Isaiah 25, verse 6. says, on this mountain, the Lord of hosts will prepare for the people a feast of rich food, a feast of aged wine well refined. See, the Messiah is coming and it says he's bringing the good wine with him. In fact, the kingdom of God is most often compared to a party, a feast, a celebration. But then Isaiah goes on. He says, on this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all people, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. You see, the Messiah is not just coming with good wine. He's not just bringing good wine to the party. He's coming to remove that thing that covers all of us. What the Bible says, that shroud, that sheet that is over all of us, death. But what does that have to do with water being turned to wine? Well, not too long after this story takes place, a night will come where Jesus will hold a cup of wine and will say, this wine in this cup, this represents the new covenant that is formed for you because of my blood being shed on the cross. Because my blood is shed, you now get to be right with God. See, tonight we have a snapshot of Jesus turning water into wine, abundant wine, more than people ever expected him to do. Next week, we're going to get a snapshot of Jesus turning a little bit of bread into an abundant amount of bread, more than people could have ever possibly imagined. Wine and bread, bread and wine. I don't think it's a coincidence that two of Jesus' first major miracles in the book of John are about abundant wine and about abundant bread because they are pointing us to communion, to Jesus' death and resurrection that breaks the power of death and sin for us forever. You see, what we have to understand about the miracles of Jesus is that it's not just about the miracle. Sometimes we think, if I could just see a miracle, then I would really believe. Well, that's not always true, is it? I mean, people witnessed Jesus' miracles in the Bible, and some of them didn't believe. Or let's say you see a miracle and you believe in it. What can then happen, what we could be tempted to do, is to to belittle Jesus down to just being a miracle-working teacher. The miracles are amazing, but they always point to something more. With all of Jesus' miracles, the good done in one moment points to the good done on the cross for all moments after that. Water to wine is great, but that wine is going to be drunk and it's going to be gone. Good for that moment, but not super relevant for us tonight in 2018, is it? 
But because this is pointing to something so much bigger, because water to wine points to the cross, points to the work that Jesus is going to do on our behalf, suddenly now it's not just a powerful moment back then, but now it's a powerful moment for us tonight, isn't it? And notice something else here as well. John, man, so full of symbolism. I absolutely love it. What was the, what was the water in that Jesus turned into wine? Six jars. For what purpose? Purification. It was like Jesus was saying, listen, you've been trying to make yourself clean before God by cleaning from the outside in. But a new age is coming where I am going to purify you from the inside out. You've used these jars to try and wash yourself. But because of the wine of my blood that's going to be, spread, going to be shed for you, now I'm going to clean you in a way that you never could yourself. Everything in this story, it points to the cross, and I love it. This is about that. This is about that. This wedding takes place when? On the third day, it says. See, this third day points to that third day, when the crucified Savior resurrects and walks out of that tomb alive, defeating death forever. This wedding feast is about that wedding feast. When the kingdom of God that Jesus came to bring to this earth reaches its final and eternal fulfillment when Christ is united to the church, to his bride forever. This wine is about that cup of wine, that cup, that new covenant that he is going to make for us to purify us of our sins, something we could never do with all the ceremonial washings in the world. This overwhelming quality and quantity of wine is actually about that overwhelming quantity and quality, that eternal life that he has for us. And what will this quality of life look like? What will this eternal life look like? Well, Isaiah, he goes on to talk about it. After saying that the sign of the Messiah will be that he's going to come with abundant, high-quality wine and that he is going to defeat death forever, He says this in verses eight and nine. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all their faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. In that day, they will say, surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. Hallelujah. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. Tommy, if you'll join me up here. I love this. I love this. Like that that head waiter said, when he said, Jesus, you, you saved the best for last. And if that was true then, then it's true now, which means this, number three, write this down. With Jesus, the best is yet to come. With Jesus, the best is yet to come, Fusion. Listen, I know there are hard things in your life right now, but with Jesus, the best is yet to come. I know there are sorrows in your life right now, and Jesus sees them and he cares about them, but with Jesus, the best is yet to come. I know there is grief in our life and in our world today. We look at what took place this week, yet another school shooting, another group of children gunned down at school, and we grieve for it, and we pray, and we do something about it, but we also remind ourselves that this is not the end, and with Jesus, the best is yet to come. 
I know there are questions and there are doubts that people in this room are wrestling with. Jesus is not intimidated by those questions. He's not afraid of those questions. He's not afraid of your doubts. And I feel like he wants to say to you tonight, the best is yet to come. There are tears that we cry. But there is a day coming, Scripture says, when Almighty God will wipe those tears from our face. Fusion, the best is yet to come. If you are in Christ, let me just tell you, your best days are ahead of you. I am convinced of it, that what has taken place cannot compare to what is ahead. I am convinced of his thoughts toward you, his plans toward you. They are good. They are to give you a future. They are to give you a hope. They are not to harm you. Your best days are ahead of you. And ultimately, like we read in Isaiah, there is a day coming when we are all going to gather at that, at that wedding ceremony, at that ceremony where his blood was poured out for us, that, that, that new covenant was poured out for us. And that on that day, we are going to say, surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. Let us be glad. Let us rejoice and his salvation. Your best days are ahead of you, Fusion. Because with Jesus, the best is yet to come. As we prepare to close, before we do, we're going we're gonna to celebrate communion together. And this is a moment for those who have called on the name of Jesus, who have placed their trust in him and what he did on the cross for us, to remember that act. But before we do, I want to just give us a moment to reflect. So can we do this? Can we close our eyes and bow our heads? Before we receive communion together, let me just ask. Are you aware that you can ask him anything if you yield everything to him? So first, what do you need to ask him? What prayer request do you have? What big things do you need to ask him for right now? What have you been doing in your own strength that you need to ask him to step in in this moment for? Before we take communion, is there anything you need to confess to him? Say, Jesus, you saw this, but I confess it to you now. I repent. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your grace. Is there anything that you need to thank him for? To say, Lord, this is a gift from you. Thank you for this. And finally, is there any, anything in your life that you need to yield to him? Any part of your life, any part of, of who you are that you haven't submitted to him, you haven't yielded to him, that you're, you're holding on to some part of your life that you're just, you're just convinced that I'm going to do this my own way. Let me tell you now, to yield everything to him leads us into our best life. With every head bowed and every eye closed, maybe there's somebody in this room right now, you've never made the decision to trust Jesus before. You've never accepted him as your Lord and Savior. You've never said, Jesus, I believe what you did on that cross was for me. If you've never done that before, but you're ready to do that tonight, if you're ready to step into that new covenant, that new deal that he, he made possible for us on the cross, 
Can I just ask you this? Would you just raise your hand in the air right now? If you've never made this decision before, but you're ready to make it now, make Jesus Lord of your life. Commit your life to him. Would you raise your hand in the air right now? Yep. See that hand? That's great. Can we all pray this prayer out loud together? Jesus, thank you for what you did on the cross. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for making me new. I make you Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen.